figure out ways to keep your current staff. That's going to be the biggest money saver for you because the turnover is, is far more expensive now. Those positions stay vacant a lot longer, which loses productivity, which drains everybody else's morale. And, and that you know translates to dollars eventually. So if you're going to focus on that, focus on your on your team, focus on doing what you can to retain them and make them um, want to stay with you, want to work with you long term, because that also has the added benefit of, of making your practice a place that other people want to come work. You know, happy employees tell their friends, hey, come work with me. And that's another place you can look is, is referrals and getting them from the people you're already employing that are great. You know, have them bring their friends on, um, but make sure that it's a place that they actually want to be. <laughs> It's going to be, I think, your number one, your culture is your number one um, priority right this second, because otherwise you're not going to have a practice at some point. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. This week, we continue our look back over the last two years of the pandemic in the U.S. What's changed in workplaces, what we've learned, and what the future may hold. My guest today is Kara Kelly. Kara is the founder and CEO of Clinical HR LLC an HR advisory firm for dental and medical practices. Carol is, Kara is a leader in Austin Sherm and holds the Sherm Senior Certified Professional and the HRCI Senior Professional in Human Resources designations. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Kara. Thanks, Mike. I'm glad to be here. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, the, the check is in the mail. <laughs> Do you recall two years ago, roughly, when you first realized that this COVID thing was a thing and that maybe we're going to have to do something about it? Uh, vividly. Where were you? Know, when Congress actually starts working together and passing legislation to help employees and help yeah. small businesses, then then yes, that's a pretty hallmark moment. You're yeah. going to remember that one. So where were you? What, what, do you remember where you were when you said, huh, this may be a uh, real issue? Uh, yes, absolutely. I was actually working from home at the time. I had just started my firm back in November of 2019 and started really working on what I wanted to do at the end of February. And then it was originally intended to be more of an educational firm. I had set up this LLC so that I could do speaking and uh, podcasting and curriculum and possibly put out courses and things like that. And then like two weeks later... (laughs) All the live events went away, right? Yes, all the live events went away. And I'm seeing my memories actually this week popping up in my Facebook feed. Exactly. This was like your last in-person CE before the world changed. (laughs) Um, And so, yes, I I do remember having to go from, okay, yeah, I'm going to be building courses to, oh, wait, snap, I got to be a consultant again. (laughs) I guess I'm consulting. And I ended up doing that for (laughs) the rest of the year, being a COVID consultant practically. Yeah, so you made that pivot, right? And uh, you know, and I think that's the word we're not supposed to use anymore. Pivot. No, we're uh, I think not. We've worn it, but well, see, for yeah. me, it was a complete three hundred and sixty. I had been yeah. working at a dental CPA firm doing HR advisory and huh. business development for our clients, and so going out on my own, I thought that I wasn't going to take my own clients. I was just going to be speaking, and so yeah, I was not just pivoting. I was three hundred and sixty. Yeah, right back. Uh, except under your own umbrella, which is always kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's always fun. 
So let's talk about that. That's a really unique niche, right? And, and uh, you know, I'm I'm a coach in, in the Entrepreneurs Organizations Accelerator Program and all that. And we're always telling, you know, early stage entrepreneurs, you've got to find your niche. You've got to really narrow in. But yours is probably as narrow a niche as I've seen recently. Dental practice HR and medical practice HR. Um, what is it about those that drew you in there initially? Originally, it was because that was the clientele for the CPA firm. Um, the CPA had come from a another planning firm, financial planning firm that's pretty well known in that profession. And that was kind of where his niche was. And mm. so I, again, I thought, well, okay, you know, I have options. I could expand. I could do this. But I really love working with dentists. Um, they, they don't learn this stuff in dental school for some reason. And doctors don't learn in medical school. So they're told, you know, they've got to have a practice if they ever want to be successful. And so they go and get a practice and they get a team and they've never led people before. And oh, by the way, there's not just OSHA compliance and HIPAA compliance. There's employment law compliance and all those other fun things that nobody told them about. <laughs> so it's it's really great to get to work with with people who care about their team, but who really need that help. Um, I get to support the HR function for their practices rather than doing tactical HR and working in some corporation and running payrolls. <laughs> right. So these, you know, we call them medical practices, dental practices, but they're really just small businesses, right? So, I mean, and, you know, they've got their, they've got their unique format of, yeah. you know, their own unique challenges and all that, but I mean, they're running a business and they, you know, it's an entity, it has an owner and, you know, who's looking for a return on their investment. Plus uh, it's got employees and all that. Um, were, were, how prepared was your typical medical or dental practice for a, a, a global pandemic and oh, they all that it brought? Yeah. I don't think anybody was really, but they, they yeah. definitely weren't. Um, we went from saying, okay, do I really have to shut down for two weeks to I'm really gonna have to shut down for two months to when can I open back up again? <laughs> And so what was that like? How long were uh, most of your clients shut down once I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing this is mid-March when we start really getting yeah. serious about this. Um, and, you know, some of the medical practices are probably providing primary care and things that they really needed, you know, needed to be open for. But then uh, I'm sure elective stuff. So how did they balance what we need to do and what we, you know, or we just need to, you know, go to the lake for the next month? So it really depended on what state they were in, because some states had a difference of opinion of what was considered emergency care versus what was considered elective. Uh, and so I had some practices that actually didn't really close because they were seeing all the emergencies for everybody else that did close. Uh, but for the most part, I think, you know, we're both in Texas, right? And so Texas was one of the first states to open up. We've been back since May of 2020. For, I think May 18th was the date that everybody started going back. And then it kind of trickled with some of the other states for the next couple of months. But I, I hear all of these return to work programs and all this HR education about getting people back to the office. And I'm like, yeah, we've been back for two years, but okay. Yeah. So. Well, and, the, and these medical practices, they, I mean, I guess teledoc and things like that and uh, became available, but mm -hmm. I can imagine even that, just knowing from, you know, my friends who are doctors, trying to get them up and running, even on that technology. We were prepared for that. Yeah. There were so many, and you know, HIPAA compliance, there were so many issues around that, that they had to deal with. Some states don't allow it. They require in person. So some of them had to deal with that or how to 
kind of find a happy medium where they weren't violating the state laws, but were still trying to provide care to their patients because that's what they were really trying to do. I mean, yes, they were a business and they, they needed to make money and survive and hopefully keep their team when everybody opened back up. But they also needed to have patients seen. They, you know, even even in dentistry where I primarily work, uh, those hygiene checks, those perio checks, those are pretty critical whenever you have somebody who has a high risk for heart disease, for example. And so those people really did need to be seen, even if it was just a cleaning to them. So, you know, so, you know, once they were able to open, whatever the state laws were, how did their business practices change uh, when that first, you know, when they first were able to see, you know, their their some some subset of their patients anyway? Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of them weren't quite prepared to deal with things like on-site laundry because if you remember two years ago, we were still kind of in the well, how is COVID really transmitted? Is it transmitted on clothes? Do we need to have people come in in street clothes, change into scrubs, do their job, change back out of scrubs, wash the uh, scrubs on site? And wear street clothes back out. You know, do we need to do this head to toe PPE where we look like we're trying to disarm a nuclear bomb versus, you know, do a a dental cleaning? Uh, So a lot of them had to come up with all of those protocols. They had to get if their practice wasn't plumbed for laundry, they had to get plumbed for laundry to where they could do that on site and then go and investigate and figure out what the requirements were to do laundry on site. So there was a lot of a scramble, I think, coming back. And, and that was for the people who didn't have the problem of bringing their teams back. Some of them took as best of care of their teams as they could, and they had everybody come back easily enough. But then others, they just, they didn't. Uh, and so some of them were having to find you know, warm bodies to fill chairs to be able to even open. Because their teams had found other positions or, or moved on to something else? Or, you know, there was expanded unemployment at that time. And depending on what position they're working at, uh, and, and also depending on what state, because some unemployment's pretty low in certain states, uh, they were having having trouble getting people to just come back because either they had kids, you know, in, in the dental profession, the clinical side of things, something like 95, 96% of clinical team members, not counting the dental associates, but the actual like hygienists and assistants tend to be female. So a lot of them had the childcare responsibilities. Schools were still closed. Daycares were still closed. And so some of them simply couldn't come back. Wow. And so, yeah. And, and these aren't, uh, these aren't always roles uh, that are really highly compensated. I don't know. Yeah. And so it is. Some of them were going to raise on that unemployment. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, so once, once we open back up uh, and we, we find whatever staff that we, you know, we're bringing back who we can, hiring people to the extent we can. Uh, what else was, what, you know, what else did the, their business look like and, and how they, how they conducted it, how they dealt with their patients, things like that? Patients, some of them were afraid to even come back. So you have some that weren't being seen for over a year at that point. And the other on the business side of things, their supply costs when they could find them were through the roof. I'm talking like mm. a 20 to 40% increase in supply costs based on what they had previously. And actually some of that still stands. Um, it's not quite as bad as it was in my opinion, a couple of years ago, but uh, they're still having an increase in supply cost right now. And there are a lot of them are dealing with insurance or reimbursements of some sort. Mm-hmm. They can't raise that. So they can't really raise their prices. Oh, and some of those insurance rates are getting lowered. The reimbursements yeah. are getting lowered. A lot of them, uh-huh. this is February now have received letters from their insurance providers that they that they contract with and they're getting a decrease in reimbursements which were already uh, notoriously low had not increased in a decade or more and and their their supply costs are, are going up so their margins are getting narrower and so the people who are going to fill that most are those those employees who support what the the doctor or the dentist is uh 
you know, is delivering to a service. Absolutely. So that's got, so that's got to be a real challenge right now then for uh, practices that are trying to hire people. Yes. Um, on top of that, they have this, I say artificially increased salary because people can, you know, supply and demand can demand more at this point. So mm-hmm. they're having to pay more for people to come on. And I've had numerous conversations in the last six months or more of practice owners saying that they're afraid that their current employees are going to find out what the new employees are making because they're making more than they are now. Oh, sure. So you've got an equity issue there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's so many issues there, but they can't afford to increase everybody's salary. Um, Yeah. So so you're between a rock and a hard place. What do you do? Do you run skeleton crew or completely short staffed and burn out the people you have that actually manage to stay? Or do you hire somebody else at a higher rate and hope that everyone else, you know, sticks around? So when you're talking to your clients about that, because I'm sure that's top of mind for them, what kind of advice are you giving them? How, what, what, what are the evaluating factors that they, they should consider? That they do need to look at at least the market value for those positions. Um, if there's something else that they can do, if they can rearrange their, their pay structures and implement some kind of a bonus structure where there are um, providing more to the employees who have stayed, if it's more PTO, you know, that's another thing that's been fairly low, at least in, in my profession with, with dentistry, has been fairly low compared to other industries. And, and to recognize that they're not just competing with other medical and dental practices right now. They're competing with Amazon, who offers work from home positions that pay more than your front desk makes. So <laughs> you're, you, know, you're, you don't have that option for flexibility. You have to have people in the office to be able to treat patients and provide that care. But you're not just competing with the dentist down the street. You're competing with these large corporations. You're competing with the grocery store across the street that's paying what your entry-level dental assistant's making for somebody to sack groceries. Right. So you're competing... You're competing for skills and competency with all kinds of industries that maybe, you know, whereas before, even a hygienist, uh, you know, somebody goes to hygienist school, becomes a hygienist and uh, or even a nursing program. Mm -hmm. And then they can they look around and say, well, I've spent some time here working at home with or being at home with my kids and I don't hate them and uh, haven't murdered them yet. So maybe I'll, I'll I'd like to keep doing that. And so suddenly they're. They're looking at changing their career altogether, and uh, if they, you know if they can find something that, that accommodates them better. Oh, How are, what are some ways then that are there ways that clinical you know clinicians can can accommodate those employees? Uh, you know, you mentioned PTO. Uh, so, what's the typical? You know, if I work in a, in a medical practice like that, uh, and I'm I'm not one of the direct care provider, you know, medical, uh, medical docs or dentists or something. What's my general PTO look like? Or what is the general, what's a, a average benefits package look like for somebody like that? Benefits or PTO? Because that's talking. Okay. About well, let's talk about both of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, benefits. You have a lot of these very small practices that truly can't afford health insurance based on the things that we've, we've discussed as far as higher supply costs. And th- they couldn't afford health insurance before the pandemic, quite honestly, that's gone up in the last decade or more. I don't know if anybody can afford it. And because, they have, yeah, yeah, I know I'm like, uh, mine's pretty high. I think mine's close to what our mortgage is and I get mine through my spouse. Oh. Uh, and, and a lot of the team members do get it through their spouse. Even some of the doctors get it through their spouse. And so it's not been a huge priority unless you're working with a corporate practice and corporate practices are pretty consistent about offering health insurance and 401ks and things of that nature. But then as far as paid time off goes, it's one of the lowest I've seen in healthcare, at least in dentistry. Uh, you know, you might be lucky to get five days of PTO. Now, this is in states that don't mandate states that have like an earned sick leave mandate or a safe and sick leave or just whatever they want to call it. Um, they'll have their 
one hour for every 30 or 40 worked up to 40 to 48 or so for the year. Um, and so they'll have to do that if they're paying attention to their state laws. <laughs> they should be doing that. Um, but then on top of that, you might see a couple of days the first year. You might see two weeks the second. Um, I've seen some that didn't offer PTO for several years at all, other than paid holidays. Uh, they'll also they also tend to offer paid time off around the time when the doctor's off. So you'll see some practices that say we don't offer a flexible PTO system, but we take the week off at Christmas and we pay you for that, or we take a week off in the summer and we pay you for that, which is kind of nice, I guess, but also kind of, you don't have that flexibility. So it kind of depends on who you're asking as to whether or not that's a benefit. And I can see it from the the doc's point of view. They're not going to see, no, we're not going to have any business that week and there's nothing for those people to do. But, and you know, the third week of January, I need all hands on deck because it's the middle of, you know, flu season or whatever, and everybody's going to be in here and and I can't have people planning to be away, especially in a small practice with five or six or eight employees it's if even that many it's a- yeah and it, and it usually goes by the doctor if it's like a single or, or two doctor practice that's where you'll mm-hmm. see that if you're in a multi-physician uh, location you'll have a little bit more you know they have to be open so they'll mm-hmm. have more flexibility there they don't typically close the whole practice for a week if you've got five doctors working in the practice they can rotate um, and their team can go work with somebody else temporarily so it's usually in the very small the under 10 employees single doctor two doctor practices you see that and let's take a quick break Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 34 and enter the keyword Kelly. That's K-E-L-L. EY. On March 10th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled, What to Do When an Employee Gets Arrested. We'll discuss the policies you need to have in place before you get that call from an employee's spouse that, well, he won't be in today, and how to fairly evaluate whether the arrest has any relevance to the individual's role in the organization. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals, and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after March 10th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Kara Kelly. So what do you think the biggest lesson that 2022 Kara would tell 2020 Kara uh, about what the next two years come and, and how, how best to prepare? Run. <laughs> <laughs> um, to uh, stop saying that it's going to get better anytime soon, because, you know, we you remember all those projections. Oh, it's just going to be two right. months. Oh, it's just going to be six months. Now we're looking at 18 to 24. So what is this, the great upgrade now? <laughs> where people are, are are leaving to go find a better job. We have the great resignation, but it's also the great upgrade because <laughs> mm-hmm. they can't get paid more in their current position, so they're leaving. Um, yeah, I think I think we would probably need to focus more on that. But you know, at at the time in 2022, so many people were taking time off because they got paid, they got a tax credit for that. 
Um, but I think that 2020, they should have focused on how can we keep this long term? You know, we managed to survive that. We managed to survive having team members out for 10 days or more at a time because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So why can't we continue to do that? Right. You know, so I know how do we figure government- out? Yeah, I know the government's not paying that, but we, we kept our team intact. And, and COVID is not the only thing out there. <laughs> there's there's the flu, there's strep, there's other illnesses that people need to take time off for. And we need to be able to be flexible with that. There's mental health issues that people need some time off for um, or just taking a break. And you know what? You survived it. So this isn't really as impossible as you made it seem prior to. So you pivoted your organization pretty quickly. And uh when you're looking back at the way you served your clients over the last two years, what are you most proud of? I think that I managed to build a business in a pandemic. I was kind of at a, at a point where I could either say, well, I guess if they don't have team members, then they don't need HR. So this is a bad idea or this is going to have to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm actually, I'm actually proud of the fact that I got clients that year and I wasn't just a COVID consultant all, all year. Felt like it looking back, but you know, I actually ended the year with a pretty good client roster and then year two grew that. And so I'm, I'm kind of proud of that personally, because well, it's yeah. the best time or the worst time. Right. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, we were in, you know, same boat. Everybody, you know, stopped hiring mm-hmm. in about March of 2020 and didn't really resume until late that year. And it never got to, back to full speed until pretty recently. Sure. Uh, and for us, and then the you know, I'm I have a question for you on that with, with the background checks. Do you see a lot of healthcare other than the OIG checks? Do you see a lot of healthcare utilizing background check services? I tell you, it's, it's shocking. Yeah, probably not to you, <laughs> but you know, how often I talk to medical practices, uh, you know, and even my friends who are docs and um, about their own HR processes in general. But, uh, you know, you walk into a medical and, it, you know, with electronic health records, it's getting less obvious but mm-hmm. you know you walk in and you still see a wall of manila folders with employee you know with patients names on them and mm-hmm. uh you know hundreds and hundreds and, and clearly patients they probably haven't seen in years just sitting up there and every one of those has a social security number a date of birth and uh, and it's it's ripe for identity fraud and uh oh yeah and, and i've worked with some clients uh on the investigative side of our business who've had those kind of things happen and suddenly they're, mm-hmm. they're getting calls from three or four different patients that their identities have been stolen and everything's tracking back to our office somehow. And not Uh, just that embezzlement in general, you know, whenever you're working with a a physician's office or a dentist office, the person who's actually providing the treatment to the patients is in the back with the patients. There's no micromanaging as much as they would like to, because a lot of them are nice and type A and kind of neurotic and and really want to be on top of things and like systems because they're scientists. And that's great. I love those people. Those are my people. Uh, But it's hard to micromanage that. It's it's hard to be present for that and and make sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to. You can't sit and watch them 24 seven. So you have to trust the people that you're hiring and you're not going to walk out with, with patient cash or, you know, make adjustments to your system. And I know there's ways to help protect that, um, but one of them is background checking. Yeah. 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 It's who you let in the door and it's, it's yeah. easier to, it's, it's easier to make, you know, to spend the effort on the front end to make a well-informed decision. But they don't want to spend the money on it. They're just yeah. they're afraid yeah. to spend the money on it or uh, they, they think that what they're doing is sufficient. I will literally talk to doctors who will say, well, I don't actually run a background check, but I go and I, I look and see if they had any recent arrests or something at the state level. And I look at their Facebook page and I, you know, go through their social media to see if, you know, they're drinking a lot. I'm like, 
yeah, for one, <laughs> that's a whole other host of liability issues there. And for two, that's not really a formal background check and isn't going to tell you a whole lot of things. Yeah, I Googled them. Yeah, I hear that a lot. I Googled and, them. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, good luck with that. And most of our clients, <laughs> I mean, you know, as, as you know, we're one of the more expensive background screening options out there. Well, but you're one of the because, best. Yeah, thank you. And uh, okay, your check is definitely in the mail now. <laughs> but the, um, the, you know, but the reality is just that uh, there's a lot of corners you can cut. And we just decided our like your niche is really unique for clinical HR. Our niche is those really risk averse clients, and uh, and but most of them come to us after something's gone wrong. And I'm sure you're the same with your clients once they're already up to their elbows and alligators. And they're you know, to put out the fire. <clears throat> and not, yeah. not before. And that's where you become valuable. And so you know, and and I've kind of over 23 years resigned myself to I'm never going to convince anybody to spend the money on to do it well. But their attorneys will, their HR consultants will, and everything else after something's gone wrong. So thousands of tens so, of thousands of dollars, they're never able to recover. Well, yeah. yeah. Then all of a sudden, they're interested in background checks. Exactly. Yeah. Looking back on on the two years, if there was one thing you could do differently, as far as consulting with your clients and helping them, what would what would that be? I mean, that's a tough question. I really did what everybody else did, which was the absolute best that I possibly could at the mm -hmm. time, you know, having to daily check the CDC's website for updates, daily check DOL's FAQ on FFCRA. I know that was an alphabet soup. Sorry. <laughs> Anybody listening to this podcast should know what DOL is, the Department of Labor's uh, questions, which I think totaled like 109 at the end of it. Uh, I was doing that on the daily because I was getting right. daily questions on it. So I, I felt like I did the best that I absolutely could. Um you know, for the position that I was in and the pivot that I was doing. Sure. Uh, if I were to do anything more than that, I would have probably tried to, to, to get with more associations and spread that message a little bit further. I did a number of presentations, but I usually did them with, um, you know, partners like insurance companies or attorneys or uh, CPA firms that were serving dentists. And, and that was great. And I did get the message out, but I think I probably could have, had I had the, the presence of mind at the time, reached out to more associations and, and put that information in front of them as well. Well, and, and you like me, you do national, you do national speakers uh, association and yeah, you do a lot of live presentations. <laughs> yeah. In Austin. So um you must have, like me, gone crazy that that six months or so that everything was shut down and there were live events. And um, I guess you went, you know, like I did to webinars and a lot more and a lot more virtual stuff um, from a business owner point of point of view uh, and what you're projecting for the future around just our ability to have in-person conferences. Do you think we'll ever go back to conferences that aren't some, you know, consistently some sort of hybrid? I'm hoping. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I think from an HR perspective, though, there's an accommodation factor. Um, I'm just having this conversation now. I'm on the legal and legislative committee at Austin Sherm, and we're having a, a day in May where we're debating whether or not it needs to be hybrid. But if we're talking about mental health and ADA accommodation, because, you know, it's law day, that's what we're doing. Right. Isn't that one form of accommodation is to offer a virtual option? So, but I've also seen the other side of it where it's kind of an expensive pain to do for the three people that show up on some of these smaller meetings. Sure. So I think there's going to have to be some level of it, um, but it may not be as interactive as what it has been in the past, simply because I, I think that's been a lot of expense for not, from what I hear and what I've, I've recognized, not really the best feedback. 
Yeah, it's not the best experience in many no, cases. No, it's, it's not the same. And yeah. the rest of us would rather just be in person. <laughs> right. I sat on a board of directors meeting for a statewide association yesterday morning. And because of my schedule, I'm always at those things live. Mm-hmm. But because of my schedule, they offered Zoom. And I said, oh, this will be better. I'll do Zoom. And I was I was ready to shoot myself. The uh, You know, somebody had their mic on. Somebody else's, you know, you know, hear papers ruffling and this and this. And it was just, uh, it was. Just and you're like, it's 2020. Have we not remembered to turn our mics off and on yeah, yet? Yeah. I mean, hey, Bob, you're on. Or the other way, Bob, you're on mute. Bob, you're on mute. Yeah. And I'm so. threatened to get that shirt that says you're on mute. Yeah. So, but you're doing this consulting for practices all over the country. Mm-hmm. How do you, during COVID in general, uh, but also just, you know, I, you know, we're, we, we're looking at just employers use of criminal history and trying to manage that on 50 states. What are you doing, you know, if to, to keep in up to date with the changing landscape? Cause there's a lot going on, uh, you know, in state houses all over the country. A lot of research. Um, I'm not in every single state. I, I try not to work in California and New York, although Illinois is getting just as bad. And so is Massachusetts, yeah. but I already have clients there. So I'm not worried about those as much. Um, but anytime I take on a new state, I just, I do a lot of research. Um, you know, of course I don't bill my client for that, but I'm kind of a, kind of a compliance nerd. That's my thing. Yeah. I, I enjoy that. I've also created a network <clears throat> of HR consultants um, back in 2020, actually about April of 2020, when everybody was kind of shutting down and bored, I created a Facebook group for HR consultants because there didn't seem to be a lot of support out there for them. And we are a few people shy of a thousand at this point. So I have a pretty decent resource <laughs> if I, I need to go and, and pull another consultant onto a job or, or possibly outsource the work or, or find somebody else that would meet their needs better. Um, I always am happy to do that if if I can make that connection. If it's not something that I can personally do or if I don't feel comfortable with, then I know where to find somebody. Sure. So as you look forward the next 18 months, what does the future hold? I'm 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 putting all my money <laughs> in in the Kara Kelly prediction. So uh so tell me what do you think the next 18 months holds? For clinical team members or yeah, for yeah, for clinical HR. Members. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think they're still going to have some trouble finding people. I think there have been a lot of people who have early retired out. There's a lot that have been fed up with the way that they had been treated during the pandemic and they've left. I think for hygiene, since we talked about that a second ago, the stats are somewhere between 10 and 20% have left the profession, period. Wow. Um, they're either going and working for other companies that support this industry, like marketing firms or billing firms or things like that, um, or they've just flat out found new careers. Um, especially in those those lower paid positions, the front desks and the assistants and whatnot. So I do think there's going to be a struggle to find qualified people uh, more so than there was before, unfortunately. I know that's not a positive prediction. Sorry, but <laughs> I've been right so far in some of these others. And everyone was talking about, ooh, September, the extra unemployment ends. All the candidates will come back. No, they're not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was that was a big prediction. A lot of people said, and it didn't yeah, pan They out. were all like, fingers crossed, hanging on to that September date. And yeah, no, they didn't. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So what would you tell a practice? Hey, we're having a hard time staffing. Uh, We can't find qualified candidates. And, you know, and, you know, this is this is the foreseeable future. Where do they go find those candidates? 
they can start looking for those candidates just about anywhere. Quite honestly, your front desk people don't have to have experience in medical. That can be trained. You can find somebody who has great customer service at a hotel concierge or, or wait staff or the grocery store and have those people, you know, obviously at a lower wage and obviously they're going to need more training. But if you can't find anybody else qualified, why not train from the ground up with somebody who has those stellar customer service skills? Because the rest of that can be learned. It's not ideal, but it can be. Um, you know, outsource when you possibly can to take some of that pressure off your team so you don't burn them out. Things like insurance billing, if you're still doing that in-house, there's plenty of companies out there that do it. Um, there's a lot of people who have been insurance coordinators for medical practices that are now working for those companies because it can be done virtually mm-hmm. and they don't want to have to come into an office, you know, for whatever wage it is, whenever they can sit at home and do those types of things. Um, so as you know, as bad as it sounds for an HR person to say outsource and, and lose a job, I don't, I don't know how much job you're losing because those people are leaving for those companies. Right. <laughs> um, but to, you know, figure out ways to keep your current staff. That's going to be the biggest money saver for you because the turnover is, is far more expensive. Now those positions stay vacant a lot longer, which loses productivity, which drains everybody else's morale. And, and that, you know, translates to dollars eventually. So if you're going to focus on that, focus on your on your team, focus on doing what you can to retain them and make them uh, want to stay with you, want to work with you long term, because that also has the added benefit of, of making your practice a place that other people want to come work. You know, happy employees tell their friends, hey, come work with me. And that's another place you can look is, is referrals and getting them from the people you're already employing that are great. You know, have them bring their friends on, um, but make sure that it's a place that they actually want to be. <laughs> going to be, I think, your number one, your culture is your number one um, priority right this second, because otherwise you're not going to have a practice at some point. Yeah, you've got to be able to, to do all the things. It's more, you know, being a, it's like you know, being a lawyer or being a doctor or anything. It's more than just doing that one thing that you're really good at. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you, it's taking care of your clients and having all that support. Absolutely. And I mean, it's going to get a little bit easier, you know, whenever we all shut down, so did the schools. So you had some people who were delayed in graduation, who were delayed in being able to be accepted to a school because Mm -hmm. the schools were not prepared to do anything remotely. And some of it, you just can't, to be fair. Uh, So you had kind of a gap year where you didn't have as many graduates. Well, hopefully that part at least will get better. So that's another place you can go and look is the schools. A lot of those folks come from like community colleges, right? I mean, the nurse assistants, the the clinical assistants. Is that mostly community colleges or those... Yes and no. So for the assistants, uh, at least in dentistry, I don't, I don't know as much on medical, but this may be the case. You can actually set up a school within your practice and become a learning center to where you could organically source people and train them the way that you want them to be trained, hopefully the correct way and hopefully compliant you know, to state laws and all that. But um, that also gives you a funnel for those positions. Now, not so much hygiene. Hygiene is a two to four year degree. So that's a different oh, one. Yeah. But for assistants, you know, if, if that's possible, that's another way you can handle it. Um, so not okay. all of them are going to come from community colleges or or specific schools. Some of them actually come from other um, assisting programs that are run out of another practice. Thanks a lot for your time. We That's what we've got today, Kara. So I appreciate uh, your time. And uh, oh, thank you for having me. It's been great. Yeah, well, and thank you for I know you you, you promote us and in, 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 uh, in Austin uh, and the podcast. And by the way, if you're in in in, in the Austin area, Austin Sherm. One of the best chapters, in my opinion, in the country. And uh, definitely, you ought to check them out at austincharm.org. So, thank you all for listening. Uh, You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. 
Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, keep your chin up. <laughs>